Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Uh, great uh, to see what God is doing. I want to honour your pastors, uh, Shane and Rachel. Come on, let's make some noise for your pastors. It's uh, not easy leading a church, and uh, I always just honour great leadership, great family, great kids, great husband and wife, marriage. Honour you guys so much. We're, we're, we're good friends and we connect very well and I just look forward to the future doing life together. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel. We're going to spend a bit of time in the Old Testament today looking at David's mighty men. Before I jump in, I got a confession. Uh, I've never shared this ever before. This is the first day. Uh, I do have a disease. It's been diagnosed. I am smiling, so I don't get too worried. Um, I've always had it, but I never really knew about it till kind of recently. Being a surfer, I have this disease called FOMO. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about because you have the same disease, just hasn't been diagnosed. But as I explain, you might put your hand up today and need some prayer at the end of the night, uh, end of the day. Uh, FOMO is fear of missing out. As a surfer, I always think it's better somewhere else. I, 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 you know, I'll surf in one place and I'm out there surfing thinking I'm missing out because it's better at another location. And surfers, if you're good, you'll drive a lot because you're not just going to surf in bad conditions, you're going to drive to wherever the best is. So I, I, I've always had it as a kid, always wanted the next thing, always looking for the better place to surf. It's fear of missing out. Now, many of you may have this disease, but it's not in surfing. Maybe, maybe it's shopping, ladies. Fear of missing out on that sale, right? And, and someone tells you about it and, darn, I missed that sale. Or, or some of you in Netflix, you're watching a series but you're thinking about another series that you should be watching because the series you're currently watching isn't as good as you thought it was and you think you're missing out on something better. You're with me, fear of missing out? I wonder if there's a spiritual FOMO. I wonder if there is a spiritual fear of missing out on God's best for us. Because reality is all of us one day will stand before Christ and give an account for our time on earth. I don't want there to be regrets. Right? I don't want to spend eternity <laughs> regretting my time on earth. I don't want to think, man, I missed it. I focused on stuff that didn't matter. And the things that did matter, did she? We good? No, no? There we go. Back with you. So I wonder, is there a spiritual FOMO? Is that better? Can you hear me now? I wonder if there's a spiritual FOMO that we don't want to miss out on what God has for us. I'll write it this way. If you're going to live the life that God created you to live, if you're going to have your full potential, if you're going to live the life that matters, then I believe prayer and people are absolutely critical to get there. 
Today we're going to talk about prayer and people impacting our lives to reach our full potential. As we study David's mighty men, we're going to learn how prayer and people around David brought great victory, brought great miracles, brought great signs and wonders, brought great uh, areas of success. And honestly, that's what we want for our lives, for our families, for our church. And so let's jump in uh, to the story in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Today I've got three thoughts and I hope you write these down and uh, dwell on these and meditate on these thoughts. Three thoughts. Number one, find your cave. Number two, find your people. Number three, stand your ground. Find your cave, find your people, stand your ground. Let's go thought number one, find your cave. 1 Samuel 22 verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam where his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there. When they heard, they went to see him. Let me give you some context. David is on the run from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. David's kind of the golden child. He defeated Goliath. He's the hero. Everyone loves him. Saul's not impressed. Saul's insecure. Uh, Saul's jealous. Uh, Saul wants to kill him and take him out. So David is on the run. Where does he go? Notice he didn't go home to his mum and dad's. <laughs> I need to preach that to my kids. Um, they're adults and they need to go. Um, anybody got adults living at home? You know what I mean? You love it, right? But you kind of, it's time to go. You know, I got five kids from 21 down to 10 and you think that they leave, but they seem to come back. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon. So, so David wasn't at home. Notice he wasn't with Samuel the priest. You know, he wasn't in the church. He wasn't in that institution. Um, he wasn't with friends or family. Where did he go? He went to the cave of Adullam. A cave of Adullam. Well, what's the significance of the cave of Adullam? Well, Adullam means refuge. The cave wasn't David's refuge. God was his refuge. But he found God in this cave. Isn't that interesting? That David was on the run under pressure, being pursued. His life was on the line, anxious, worry, pressure. Where did he find himself? In the cave of refuge. In other words, he found himself in the presence of God. In the presence of God where he cried out. We see in Psalm 57 was written in this cave. What did he say in Psalm 57 verse 1? He cries out, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadows of your wings until the disaster has poured. This great victory that we see David happen in his life with the mighty men started where? In this cave of refuge. In this place of prayer. For me, I find myself in this cave of refuge as, 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 as often as I possibly can. Uh, with five children, uh, being a, a husband, leading eight locations, 
I find myself on the run. The run from pressure. Run from, I'm not good enough. The run from, what if my kids run? What if they walk away from Christ? What, 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 what if I make a bad decision? What, what, the pressure, the anxiety. What if I get sick? What if I can't provide? The pressure. The, I find myself running into the cave of Adullam. God, help me. God, I need you. God, please get me through today. I think that's a healthy place for all of us to find ourselves as a place of prayer where we're honest and open before our God. It's a place we should go daily. Where's your cave of Adullam? Maybe it's a closet at home. Maybe it's a, a room on the balcony. For, for me, I often find myself walking on the beach. Maybe it's you know, in a prayer meeting somewhere. Where is your cave of Adullam? It's not a physical place I'm talking about, but it's a heart posture that you find yourself crying out to God because David was in God's will even though he's on the run. Just because pressure comes, anxiety, worries, anxious, yeah, what do I do? that's not outside of God's will. It's what do we do in that place? And it's a place where we seek our God and we cry out. It's called the cave of Adullam. It's our place of refuge. Too often we turn to the bottle. We turn to some pills. We, we turn to the TV. We turn somewhere else to find refuge. But God wants to tell you today, He is your refuge. It's not wrong to need refuge. It's just wrong if we go to the wrong place for refuge. The cave of Adullam, the place of refuge. In fact, as a church, I'm so excited how we're entering into 40 days of prayer. I pray everyone goes through this 40 days of prayer. I pray God speaks to you right now. I pray you feel it. You need to find the cave of Adullam, the place of refuge. That This is a way for 40 days where you're taught to seek God's presence, to cry out to, to, to his, prayer, his answers and his direction for our life. It's absolutely necessary for us to find that cave of Adullam daily so we can find refuge in our God. Maybe some of you today, you're far from God. You're here because you have to. You, 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 it wasn't your choice. Parents made it for you. Maybe your spouse made it for you. And honestly, you haven't been in the presence of God. You haven't cried out. You don't know what it is to find that place of refuge. You've just gone through the motions. Church is just something you do. But let me tell you, it was never intended to be that. Church is a place we can hear God's word. We can be inspired to worship and God can lead us to teach us how to have a relationship with him. And I think it always starts with authenticity when we're honest and we're real and we get on our knees before our God and we find refuge in his presence and we cry out to him. Some of you may need to cry out to God today. Some of you may need to get back to that first love, that place of refuge. And I love that. Pastor Shane's putting this together where we can discover that together. Jesus came so that we would have a relationship with him, that we would find refuge in him. And today, no matter where you're at, whether you're close to God or far away, your cave is available. It's a posture. 
It's a place where you can step into his presence. Number one, find your cave. If you haven't found your cave, that's your duty. That's your responsibility. That's your number one goal to find that place where you can pursue God and find refuge. I needed every minute of every day. King David found his refuge and that helped him to succeed and be all that God has for him. Number one, find your cave. Number two, once you've found your cave, it's interesting that David found his people. And the same is for us as we find and discover our God that we then find and discover your people. Because you'll never accomplish anything, you'll never accomplish everything that God has for you alone because you're never created to live alone. Let's continue on in the story. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. All those in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, gathering around David in this cave of Adullam. And he became commander. About 400 men were with him. So David gathers in this cave to seek his God and all of a sudden God brings these people and suddenly there's this synergy there's these like-minded people that are brought together 400 it's interesting now David was nothing without his mighty men and they were nothing without him David was the leader but he was nothing without his followers so there were 400 I call them a band of brothers, bound together because of a common situation. Interesting, it wasn't a situation or like-mindedness of success and, and great promotion and they had it all together. It was quite the opposite. They were bound together because of distress and debt and discontented. Distress, they had anxiety and depression. Debt, they hadn't seen success in the past financially. They'd been stung from past financial decisions, discontented. They weren't satisfied with life. They wanted something more. Here's the point. When you find your people, you'll find people that are like-minded, the same values as you. There's a, a, a connection. You're just naturally drawn. Maybe you have your same parenting styles. You might have the same philosophy. You're just drawn to them. And there's this connection that takes place when we find people who are like-minded. I'll say it this way. We, we don't say it like this, but many of us have been mentored by a culture that makes money more important than relationships. The world says you can always find and meet new people. You can always make new friends. You can always find a new church. In our way of thinking, these are expendable, replaceable aspects of our lives. But that's not what Scripture teaches. So often we think friendships are expendable and we can just find new ones. But Scripture actually teaches us that friendships are the priority of life. Relationships is actually the only thing we can take to the next life. Yet so often our decisions in life are based on our careers, financial benefits, uh, places uh, physically where we want to live, weather. But the Bible teaches relationships should help us make decisions. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, 2, 
are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Two can accomplish more than one individually. The sum will be greater than the parts. This isn't just referring to husbands and wives. This is referring to relationships. Ecclesiastes 4.10 goes on to say, For if either fails, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who fails without another to lift him up. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? When you find your people, there are mutual benefits in the relationship. Verse 12. And if someone overpowers one person... Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Find your people. That means you're able to watch their back. You've got their best interests in mind. You're connected. There's an ancient African saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Now, it's interesting as we look at David's mighty men, there were three different layers that Scripture teaches. There was the 400 that were like-minded. Then there was the 30 that were his mighty men. And then there were the three that did absolutely extraordinary, miraculous exploits. I think there's some teaching in God's Word for all of us this morning when it comes to relationships. I believe all of us should have three layers of relationships. We should all be part of something large, like 400, which is more, in my mind, a reference of a church, where we're gathered together, we, 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 we come and worship, we listen to the vision and the message, and, 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 and we impact our community, and we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. That, that's the church, the 400. That's what David's army, they, they surrounded because they were unsatisfied with their current life doing it on their own. They, the world wasn't providing what, what they felt was necessary, so they came together under, uh, under that banner to, to pursue, the, the, the help Israel actually uh, restore and, and beat the Philistines. So they were in this group of 400. That's what church is. I believe every one of us should be committed to a local church. I want to be nice because I'm a guest and I want to be invited back. But I want to push a little bit, can I? Just a little. Committed to the 400 is more than just showing up for an hour and a half on a Sunday. Committed may be praying for your church. Praying for your leaders. Committed may be serving somewhere. Committed may be financially giving. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. It's called the church. We good with that? Okay, then there's the next layer of 30. Uh, this is talking about David's mighty men. There were 30, and the Bible talks about the great exploits that this smaller group did. I believe the 30 kind of represents like a life group, where it's a smaller number, where, where, where you actually do life together. You can't do life with 400. That's too many, right? But, but this next layer down... Of that 20 to 30 mark, where you kind of know each other a little more. You actually do life together. We see the 30 mighty men did great exploits together. And I believe the life group, the small group, the connection group, the, the connect group we call it, is absolutely essential for you to find your purpose and your destiny. That's why I love 
what we're doing at church about our 40 days of prayer. This is designed to do in a life group. Six or eight weeks, we're going to gather together and we're asking every one of you be in one of these groups. Now, it's not a connect group forever. It's not a life sentence. You know, we're not, it's not, you're, 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 you're stuck in prison in this connect group. This is just six weeks and we're actually looking for some host leaders. What's a host leader? Well, a host leader says, okay, there's more people that want to be in a life group than we currently have, so I'll open up my home. I'll, I'll play the video that's provided, and we'll just discuss the content together. It's providing a place for this group to gather for six weeks. How awesome was that? We don't know what will be launched out of that. Maybe connect groups will be launched out of this great program of 40 days of prayer. But this is a place where you can gather with that smaller group. Maybe you haven't got that small group in your life. I believe it's absolutely essential that we do it. Starting on October 28th, I pray God stirs you. Pray every one of you says, you know what? I'm going to do this to find my cave, but I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it in a group for six weeks. You can do that, right? And actually, some of you are going to say, I'm going to open up my home to make sure that there's a place for everyone. And then finally, the 400, the 30, then we find there was three. There was three. And we're going to talk about what these three did in a moment. And these three had a whole nother level of intimacy. There was this level of authenticity. There was this openness. It's almost like a funnel. 433, where where you can call that person in your three 24-7. Where you know no matter what you go through, you have someone to talk to. No matter what they go through, they can call you. Now, this has been a challenge for me in my life. I've been okay with the 400. I'm cool with the 30 because we're going to get things done I'm not great at the three. I, I, I find it difficult to fully open up. I've done it in the past and I've been burnt. And as a pastor, we can put up this mechanism of defense where we got the 400 <laughs> and, and we'll go as far as the 20 or the 30, but the three, hang on a minute. I've, I've, I've got my spouse, my wife, and, and that's it. And because of past pain of, of being burnt, with the three, I've been hesitant and reluctant. And and over the last couple of weeks, as I've been studying this, this has really challenged me. In fact, putting this message together caused me to do something I hadn't done. I sent a text on the plane from Goldie to Sydney uh, on Saturday, and I text two guys. And um, I said, would you be my three? Would you be there for me and I'll be there for you? Would we be willing, the three of us, to stand together specifically for our families? That I've got your back, you've got mine. That I'll do whatever it takes for your kids, you'll do whatever it takes for my kids. 
And I was a bit nervous sending the text. I was so gutless I couldn't call them or talk to them. I just texted it because it's a bit easier. You know, they say no, I just don't read the text. And so uh, it was difficult for me to go there. But reading this scripture, God really emplaced on my heart, Miles, you don't have the three. How are you going to preach this? How are you going to succeed? How are you going to answer to heaven with the call of God on your life if you don't have the three? And I was so challenged because even Jesus had the masses, had the 12, and there were the three. There's layers of intimacy that we need in our lives. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe the 400, you're not committed. Maybe you're not in the 30. Maybe you don't have the three. I pray Holy Spirit would minister you today and you do something because this is a life-defining moment. I believe this will change the future of my kids, that text that I sent. Because I, I, those guys, getting a bit emotional now, those guys responded and said, we've got your back. One of them actually drove out uh, that afternoon. My son, Jaden, uh, he's got this job handing out pamphlets at, in mailboxes, right? And so the guy heard about it and he's got this big electric scooter. And he said, man, I'll give him the scooter that he can drive around. It's this massive scooter that flies. And so it would help him, you know, deliver these pamphlets. So he put it in his truck, drove it down. I'm like, I didn't ask to do that. And I wonder where the evidence and where the, the results of that intimacy that we're going to pursue admittedly, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges, you know, trying to open up and be real and honest with these guys. But I wonder where we'll go with the three because here's what happened in Scripture with the three. Are you ready? 2 Samuel 23. The third thought, stand your ground. Stand your ground. When you find your people, you will then stand your ground. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph Bathshebeth, the Takamite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That's the kind of stuff I want to be able to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's bold. 800 men. Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodadai, the Oohite, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was sent with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamin for battle. When the Israelites retreated, Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Listen to this next sentence. The Lord, what? The Lord brought, say it again, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. When these three stood together, we see God showing up and doing the miraculous. That's, that's what I want. The, the Lord brought about a great victory. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him, I'll talk about this guy a little bit, was Shema, son of Agi, the Harite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, the Israelites, the Israeli troops, fled from there. But Shema, what did he do? He took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down and brought about a great victory. 
I believe these three were a band of brothers that stood together. And the reason they fought wasn't for themselves, but they were fighting for each other. You see, many scholars will say the reason Shammah stood his ground was to defend the food source. The Philistines were known to raid um, harvest fields um, at harvest time and take the food source. And so we see Shammah standing his ground in this patch of lentils because it was the food source for the mighty men. So he wasn't fighting for himself. He was fighting for his band of brothers. You see, God wants you to stand but he doesn't expect you to stand alone. And when you find your band of brothers, and when you learn to stand, whether it's in prayer, whether it's serving, whether it's helping, whether it's whatever it is, praying, I believe you enter to another level of power and authority that releases the presence of God to work on your behalf. We see David's mighty men did great exploits because of the relational bond that was together. They discovered each other in the cave of Adullam, where where God was their refuge, where they prayed, number one. Secondly, they found each other. They found like-minded people. There were three layers of 430 and three. And next thing, we see them doing great exploits. We see them doing great things. For us, that's great things for our family, great thing for our community, great, great thing that's going to change people's eternity. Because I believe God wants to set us up to do great works for Him. And so it's interesting that these guys stood when it was easier to run. I believe when you stand up at the right time, for the right reason, it can change the direction of your life. And that's what happened to Shema. The opposite's the same. When you run at the wrong time for the wrong reason, it can cost you more than you know. If you don't have people in your lives, it's hard to stand. If you don't have people in your lives, it's easier to run. Maybe there's some things you need to stand for. You need to stand for your family. You need to stand for your faith at work. You need to stand for your convictions, for your beliefs. You need to stand for your church. Sometimes you need to leave the office to be home for dinner when you're under the pump. Sometimes you need to put the screens down so you connect relationally because that's important. Sometimes you need to fight for your family to be with them. Sometimes you need to stand up to your God and and, and share your faith. This is um, challenging to me because I'm finding myself at one of the busiest seasons of my life um, I, I work for Ross, who is the uh, chairman of INC. And one of my roles over these next several months is visiting churches like yours to work with the staff and the, the pastor, to, to work through some leadership and, and, and structure and clarity and vision and, and just to serve, just to be part of the team and, and hear and listen. And, and that means I travel. And so I'm finding that you know, I'm, I'm traveling a lot. And these two guys that I text on the plane, I talk to about this. And they're constantly calling me and saying, okay, I know you're gone Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. 
What, 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 what's the first thing you're going to do when you get home on Wednesday? Well, what does Thursday look like? So there's this accountability that they're bringing to me because I don't want to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. I've seen that happen way too often. I don't want to lose my kids because I'm too busy not being a father. I'm too busy being a pastor. Someone else can pastor them. Only I can father them. I don't want to be so busy building churches that I'm not building my own family. I don't want to lose sight of what I'm responsible for and that's standing for my family and making sure I'm calling Bonnie two or three times a day, that I'm texting my boys and my daughter, that I'm staying engaged in their life, that I'm thinking and praying and aware of them. But what I've discovered is I can't do that alone. Maybe God is speaking to you right now. You've tried to stand, but because you've stood on your own, you've failed. You've tried to stand against an addiction. You've tried to stand against a poor behavior. You've tried to, to stand up for something you want to do. You want to write a book or a blog or you want to start a ministry. But because you're standing alone, it's much easier to fall and to fail. Maybe God's reminding you through his scripture of David's mighty men that it's easier to stand when people are around you. We think Shema stood on his own. He wasn't alone. He had the three, the 30, the 400. What about you today? I really think this will transform some of your thinking. You're trying to do it solo and you're wondering why it doesn't work. Because when you stand alone, it's easy to fall in secret. But when you stand with others... If you fall, they know about it. And they're going to be there to pick you up and to help you win the victory. Mark 13, 13 is a scripture that talks about standing. And I believe it's important that we understand we're just not standing with raw discipline. or We're not just standing with, 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 with strength of, of character. There's something else that standing refers to in scripture. Mark 13, verse 13. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The word stand, translated from the ancient Greek, means hupo mino. Hupo mino. Hupo means under. Mino means remain. What standing means literally is remaining under. What are we remaining under? We're remaining under Christ. So to stand firm is to remain under Christ's authority. You stand under. When the pressure gets too great, you don't run from Christ. You run to him to find your refuge in the cave of Adullam. You with me? Standing firm means remaining under. It's interesting. David was on the run. He wasn't just standing still. He was actually on the run from Saul. But he was standing under God's authority by saying, I'm not going to touch God's anointed, which was Saul. So it's just not physical. I'm just going to not move. Miles said to stand. I'm just going to get some guy. We're just going to stand here forever. No, it's not physically standing. It's spiritually remaining under. 
remaining under God's authority, God's plan and God's purposes. But I don't think you can remain under alone. You weren't created that way. God created us to have relationship with others. As the musicians come and we close our time, I believe this is a very strategic time for our church. As we're seeing great blessings with the, with, with the child care, with sprouts, we're, we're seeing growth, we're, we're, we're seeing God's goodness. I, I, I really sense that, that this 40 days of prayer is something God wants to do to build you, the people. All the building that's going on is wonderful and great and we want that and we need that. But there's also an element of building the people for what God has in the future for us. So I, I implore every one of you to go through this. You'll hear more about it over the next two weeks. It'll be really clear. There's great leadership, great preparation, great planning that's gone into this. Uh, this isn't something we just thought up yesterday. <laughs> this is something God's laid on Pastor Shane's heart. It's going to transform our church. And I believe in this we'll find our refuge in Christ, but we'll also find our people. We'll find our 400, our 30, and our 3. And when we find our refuge and we remain under God, and when we find our people, that's where the miracles came. I want to be the one that slays 800 men. Maybe not physically, but certainly doing great exploits. What's 800 men for me? My kids loving Christ, like passionately crazy in love with Him. What, what's 800 or what's defending a, a, a field of lintels for me? Being madly in love with my wife till the day do us part. What, what's, what's, you know, defeating the Philistines for me? Seeing God's local churches grow. People getting saved. Lives changed. Marriages restored. Kids on ice and addiction set free. That's what we're born for. And I don't want to have FOMO, fear of missing out all that God has for us. When one day we face Christ and He says, why didn't you listen to that message that I came and told you about getting your band of brothers? Why didn't you do? Get in relationship with others. Get your 400, your 30 and your three. Because Scripture says we need those. Many of us stand here because there was one who stood for us. This guy stood for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I was a punk, grommet, 15-year-old, frothing, crazy little kid that hated life and parents were divorced, felt abandoned and no good and insecure and at 15 I found myself in a church somehow someone invited me while I was surfing I said I've never been to church my dad was an atheist never never knew about church he says you need to come I said I'm not coming he says there's girls there he says all right I'll check it out so I came I got saved and I discovered there was one that stood we read about that and listened about that earlier with our communion message beautiful heartfelt message there was one that stood for you and for I we're here because he stood for us who is there in our life we need to stand for
family, friends, kids, relations, workmates. We need to stand for those that can't stand for themselves. With eyes closed and heads bowed, I pray today you would do a work in all of our hearts that we would stand for those who can't stand for themselves. In fact, I want to stand for some of you right now. There are those here, you're far from God. You're, 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 you're not right with Him. You've just been doing life on your own. You, you, you're not remained under. You're not pursuing God. Someone's dragged you along. Maybe you've been coming for years. Maybe it's your first day, but you're not right with Jesus Christ. You know what? I, I'm not okay with that. We're not okay as a church. We know there's more for you. We know there's a future, a, a destiny. There, there, there is this place called heaven for you. But it starts with you making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity. You're, you're cold to God. You're far from Him. Yet He's still here today for you. And He's one decision away, one prayer away. The Bible says when you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. Eyes closed and heads bowed. That's you and you know it. I want you to make that decision this morning. I want to encourage you to say yes to Him. Would you boldly raise your hand and let me recognize that decision? No one else looking around. This is between you and God. You know you need to make your life right with Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. I see your hand. You can put that down. Others of you. Just raise your hand wherever you are. This is, this is time for you and God. Don't, don't miss this moment. There's probably nothing more important for us as a church to do than present the gospel to you. That Jesus died and rose again because he loves you. We want to stand for you because we believe in you. Would you raise your hand with those others and say yes to him? Let Jesus come in, forgive you and change you. You'll never be the same. Father, we thank you for your presence. Father, challenge the rest of us who are under your authority to understand why. It's to lead other people to you, God. Let us be found faithful in doing that. Church, let's pray a prayer out loud together, calling on Jesus. Let's all pray. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. Be my Lord. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, let's celebrate with our God, those people making that decision. That's awesome, Pastor Miles. Thank you so much.